Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Today, I am interviewing Aurelia Chevraku from, you're in the Netherlands right now? Is that I'm correct? in the Netherlands, indeed. Excellent. Yes. Are you originally from the Netherlands? Not at all. You will uh, soon hear my accent and I am French, a French woman. You're French. Okay. Fantastic. Well, you have a very impressive body of work. You're coming from a continent where you're teaching nature connection and working with urban schools and really promoting a deeper understanding of how to connect children with the natural world. And you're doing it in a place that is very unfamiliar to me. So I'm really excited to hear about your journey, how you got started doing this, and also learn a little bit about how it, how it is for you, because I know it, it probably is going to sound very different in some ways for those of us in other parts of the world. So thank you and welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. Thank you, Ricardo. Indeed, um, actually, I'm not at all uh, from this range of field. I have started my career as a change management consultant, which means that for companies' requests, you do your best to make uh, the change happen using communication, training, supporting people to, to have this change happening, but also finding consensus with the, the, the head of companies. Yeah. I did this in Paris. And yes, I, I became pregnant uh, for the first time. And I started to really uh, wonder about what I, was, um, what I was giving to my daughter to eat what kind of hair she was able to, to breathe and so on. And in Paris, yeah, the air is not good. And then we, the whole family moved in Amsterdam. And for me, it was the opportunity to just stop and make a break and wonder, okay, I love my, uh, my job, but now I don't want to make it for head of company's purpose. It, for me, it doesn't make sense. I want to make it for a cause I believe. And I really want to protect biodiversity in this world. And I am really uh, concerned about environmental, um, environmental issues. Then I started to wonder, okay, uh, you are a change management professional. So what do you know? I know that this kind of changes takes at least one generation to take into account because it's a cultural change. And that's why probably we, we moved so little <laughs> for the beginning. Uh, we started to, to have this kind of concerns. So for me, it was obvious that we, I had to kind of speak to, to, to children, to this new generation. Yeah. Another thing I know is that uh, you don't change with only uh, negative and don't rules. You change with a vision. You change with love for things. You change by sharing things, but you... Yeah. And for me, education was th the most performant way to, to change behaviors uh, with this generation. So that's why I, I have started to focus on um, outdoor learning, nature-based education. And then I created my company. And now I, I work for schools also, um, yeah, for outdoor education, outdoor learning. Wow. That's really great. It's interesting because you're coming from that change management. That position is a really powerful position because you get to see well, what's working, what's not working. And you're going, you get to see it in real time unfold in maybe little ways, big ways. 
where people get stuck and everything. And that's a really key element that I think sometimes is missing in like nature education and people that are really advocating for more nature is that they kind of think, well, if I just have a really good story and I make people feel something, then change will just happen. You know, the schools will just automatically change. And that's not really always the case. There's a lot of different layers and steps to that and challenges and things you have to go around and figure out how to take the right steps to move us, you know, like you said, in that generation. Yes, change is as a journey. So yes. if you want people change, you have to, to start to go to meet them and to really understand what are their positions, what are their views, what are their feelings about the topic and start from these views. Yes. Um, this is a really uh, important thing in my approach. That's why I want to start with standard schools, urban schools. I want to start with people we, where people are. Um, I find that forest schools are amazing wonderful uh, ideal situation and model to follow so and they are good because they are inspiring other schools but at one point how a standard uh, primary school um, located in a big urban environment can really make this change toward outdoor learning and outdoor education uh, this is really my the core in my approach yeah, that, you know, for me, I've started my wilderness and nature education. I always kind of had a place that was, you know, deep in nature, in the forests out here in, in America. And, and it's very easy to do nature education in nature. You know, it's, it's very, very different to go into a school where everything is, you know, like you said, urbanized and, you know, it's not really that wild at all in any way. And, and do that. And that was a big challenge for me when I would go to a school and try to teach something. I couldn't do a lot of the things that I used to, that are much easier to do, you know, on a farm or in the mm. in a park or something. And so I had to bring a lot of things into the classroom and then start very small and just see if I can do an activity that shows that children are eager to get engaged. And I'm curious as to how does it work in an urban school are there things that children or teachers or the school feel acceptable? And are there things that you have to kind of, you know, build up to that? Is it is it a really gradual progress? Um, yes, <laughs> it is. It is a long-term approach. First, to complete what we are saying, I am sure that, yes. you know, this Nature Connection Pyramid, I think it's written by uh, Nature and Children Network. I'm not sure, but I think so. And mm -hmm. so... my. My stage in this pyramid is not the wide stage where you can go once a week or once a month, but it's really the day-to-day -day stage. So yes. we have to go where the nature is, the closest from your home, the closest from your school. And to answer your question, this is also a journey. So we, we speak about schools, again, they are standard schools. They have their own curriculum. They are, have their own schedule. And in general, teachers are truly overscheduled. So... One of the things I have to deal with is to not say, okay, we are adding this on your curriculum. We are teaching only about nature because it's important. And on the side of math, literature, uh, on the side of arts, dance, and so on, we add this. This is not what I am doing. What I do is I say, okay, you have this curriculum and I will help you 
to achieve and to strengthen this curriculum because we are going together outdoor and we are teaching through nature, with nature, to right. achieve your educational goals. This, some teachers, they understand it perfectly because they already know that's possible. Some of these teachers who are from Australia often or from Canada or from Norway because they already have a, a deep culture of outdoor education. Uh, it takes a bit more time with European teachers um, yeah, because they think that, okay, in nature, you only learn about nature. Right, and in, right. In this case, they are too to scheduled. Yes, yes, that's correct. I've seen that a lot too, where there's this idea of, oh, if we want to bring more nature into a school, then the teachers look at it and go, oh, we have to teach a whole nother subject that I know nothing about. And I'm supposed to now teach that to the kids. And I've always thought that's that's going to be too a, a bridge too far for most teachers because they're already stressed out trying to do history, math, liter you know, literature, language, everything. So I really like um, the idea of what you're saying, which is, you know, to kind of be in nature adjacent, you know, in, yeah. you know, sliding into history, sliding into math and so forth and using that as your model. So that it seems like it's going well. Do you feel that there's a lot of resistance I see many, many different cases. Some of the teachers I work with, they only needed a nudge to start. You know, yes. they were, again, they came from Australia or from New Zealand, and they only needed that I say, okay, you can go. This is a place where you can go, so do it. And now they are doing it totally independently. Some other teachers, they are really discovering and how it's powerful for their, for their uh, teaching. And that's really, really beautiful to see. Uh, I, I have teachers that told me, oh, I, I thought that I could never do it. But now, each time I am planning my new unit, my new lesson, I am wondering, okay, how can I make it outdoors? So this is really relieving. Yes. And then, indeed, I, I have teachers that they don't understand the point and they think that it's kind of acutacy, like, uh, okay, it works perfectly for early age children, but now we are teaching serious things and mm, it won't work. So with these teachers, I have more, to, more work to do and more communication and training as well. But I can tell you that it's moving. Other resistances yes. I can find uh, are resistances from uh, leadership in general because we need uh, we can need a bit of budget or because we can need a bit of time in the schedule to just train the teachers and for this same I I have to convince that it's not only a nice to have providing good beautiful Instagrammable uh, pictures but it is a must have. So this is really important for me. And last thing, they are the parents. <laughs> I, I am working in a, mainly in an international school and every parent come with their own culture about nature and with their own resistances. And some resistances are really, really, really strong. Uh, Netherlands uh, are a wet, rainy country. And I have to really educate about all the benefits uh, of nature, about health and about learning. 
So yes. I meet resistances, but at the same time, I can say that on a long-term view, I am really uh, going forward each day, each week, each month. So that's that's a good thing. Yes. Yeah, it's really interesting to me. I mean, I've been teaching nature education for like 35 years, but it's interesting how there's these sort of new fields or rivers of work and 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 how the forest forest school model seems to be going berserk like everybody is starting forest schools in a lot of places um for the especially for younger children and so it's it's very very popular you know and my my background was in uh bushcraft what they call bushcraft in like some places in the UK uh here it, they called it wilderness survival or nature education and mostly I worked in schools for very specific projects and also in summer camps for children to give them an immersive experience. But I, I've always sat and thought, how do we change this on a daily basis for we have, you know, we have 79 million children in the United States. And I think, great, you know, a, a, you know, 2% of the people are getting a nature experience. What about all those other children and all the, and the whole system? How do we do that? And you're actually doing it, which is just phenomenal to me. And I'm just really, this is really powerful work, what you're doing, laying the groundwork, laying these steps. And I, um, I know when I met you in LinkedIn, I, a few years ago, I was just like, Oh, this is really important. Everything you were saying was really important. And I was like, I'm not sure enough people are hearing what it is, but this is, uh, this is the, the key is that, you know, going into a school and talking about this and helping to try to create that change uh, for a lot of people, it's very intimidating. You know, if I'm just a naturalist and I'm, you know, work with children in nature, do crafts, to walk in and sit with the superintendent and the, you know, the administration, they're all wearing ties and they're, you know, have these they have millions of dollars in budget, you know, that they control. Mm. And, and it's very difficult for, you know, a lot of nature educators to try to break into that and see, Hey, do we have value and everything? And so I, I feel like you're, what you're doing is really really important. I, I can't stress that enough. So thank you. Thank you so much, Ricardo. What made it easier, I think, in a way, is that in the Netherlands, uh, we had the opportunity to have a, a, a specific budget after COVID crisis related to health, to health recovering. And because outdoor learning is really linked uh, of these two topics, of these three topics, to enhance the curriculum and a more powerful learning but also to enhance the health. And the third one is about environmental education, but it's really about recovering with health. And yeah, the school I worked with already from an external purpose, it was, yeah, it was able to fight for having this budget and to allocate it to this position. Yes. So it was really key in a way for me to, that allowed me to really uh, start this deep work inside the school. Uh, because again, change take time, takes time. Whatever you do, it takes time. So you, you we need quick wins, but at the same time, uh, to revisit change, we, we need time. 
this was key. But today, budget from the Netherlands about COVID are almost uh, over. And um, yeah, uh, the schools, they, they tell me, okay, but this position is really unique. Yes. You don't see this kind of position everywhere else. So how can we make it sustainable? Because they know that it's useful and really important. So here we are in our way to, to think about it, how we can advocate uh, with the governments, with the, the sponsors, with the founders to have yes. this kind of position sustainable because this is a, a position against, again, really related to health and really related to learning. Yeah. So let's see. Right, right. Well, and that's what was interesting is that, you know, I was actually asked to create a, a nature-based approach to help children. And the the company, the organization I worked for to do that was the was an alcohol and drug abuse council. So they're they're an ed, they were educators. Uh and they were saying, hey, this is important. Let's we believe nature is very important there. And it was really interesting because when we tried to go in and do that to and bring something to schools and other, you know, youth organizations, there was a lot of resistance because it was something new. They didn't know us, everything. So I really tried to step back and say, you know, all of these other people, these other organizations who work with children, they are stakeholders. They are wanting to help children. That's their goal. So we have to be seen as partners with them and not, you know, the the new big thing that will take money away from their work. And so we had to create more of a network. I, I really insisted that we, you know, have meetings with the other stakeholders, talk to them about what we were doing, and at least get them so that they knew and understood what we were doing and what we weren't. Because there is a lot of competition for funding. And, you know, it, at least here in America, it's, there is not much money in education for this kind of thing. And you definitely don't get paid to go ask funders for money and you don't get paid to go speak and be an advocate. Uh, there just aren't jobs like that where you can pay, feed your family by going and talking to school. So so I'm really curious that, you know, for you, it's been, it seems like it's working for you to do that. And I just um, really appreciate, A, again, that you're doing it and also that to kind of ask, like, is it, is it difficult for you to get, um, you know, to, to get paid for that or to um, get the funding you need to keep doing this? Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, I am now funded, but indeed the sustainability of this fund is always questioned. Right, right. And to avoid this, I try to really find the way to integrate my action with other existing programs. Can be health programs, again, like yeah. we did. Uh, or can be environmental education program because it helps both of them. Huh? It helps with health. It helps with environmental education. The main school I work with is uh, an IB school, a school who, who deliver an international baccalaureate curriculum. Mm -hmm. And it helps with this curriculum too. So um, I try to integrate, as I integrate outdoor learning within the curriculum, I try to integrate also the, the funds to existing funds to say, okay, you can achieve your goals and make yeah a, a lot of results with it. But indeed, still, it's not easy. And right. I, 
it's quite surprising because uh, I don't know if you read this article. It was uh, maybe five years ago. It was about uh, executive uh, of Silicon Valley who uh, sent their children to study not in high tech schools, but in world of schools. Right. So this means that they, they understand how it's important today to, to preserve the health and mental health of their children and to preserve their learning. I, I am training now about a, a program to, to balance and to have a smart approach of uh, our online life, virtual life, uh, the virtual life of the students, actually. Yeah. And I think that this kind of program, too, should have a, a kind of a disclaimer to say, okay, balance your time, screen time with outdoor learning, with nature connection, with going outdoors and so on. I think that there are many, many ways many many hooks for our approach and then after it depends on who you meet and uh, yeah. who you can convince mm. yeah it's interesting because in 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 america here in you know in our area there's a there was a a lot the, the covid uh pandemic affected or, or showed how how many children are struggling with mental health you know, like with depression and anxiety and all the things, you know, uh, that things that are very serious, like they're not, these are not little things and, and it may affect someone for the rest of their lives. And if they're, if they're 10 years old or 12 or 13, it's, it's, it's very difficult. And, and yeah, at the same time, sometimes there are schools or organizations that are, they don't want to think long-term. So, when I say to them, you got to start with children when they're five, when they're six, when they're seven, and give them the foundation, give them the tools to, you know, build their inner foundation, I call it. If we don't do that, then you're going to have the problem when they're 15, 16, 18, because they don't have that. They oftentimes are like, well, it'll take too long to get that figured out. And sometimes they have that. And then other times there are people that really understand it and say, we have to do this right now. We have to make it happen. So it's, it's in some ways, we just have to work with who, who we, who gets it, I guess, who understands. Yes. I, I can tell you that it doesn't take a long time to recover from many, many, from many, many troubles. Um, yeah. For example, I have children now, the, the trouble is big because they cannot stand rain. For example, they cannot stand rainy day, or they cannot stand to touch a wet leaf, or they cannot stand to have a fly uh, flying around them. So for me, that's a huge trouble, I would say. Right, but right. After only a couple of outdoor lessons with a good role modeling, they're able to understand, and their, their fear is really uh, lowering really fast. They feel better and they feel strong. Um, Resilience is one of our greatest challenge for the next decades. Our resilience is really decreasing at a high speed. And when I look at the children, I say, oh, yeah, I am kind of <laughs> worried about it. Yeah. Um, and quickly going outdoors and just facing elements. And I would say that in the Netherlands, the elements are quite mild. Yeah. It, it's already uh, something challenging for them, and it's already um, rewarding for them to, to be able to do this. So 
they go quick to recover. They go quick to uh, connect with nature. They go quick to be able to focus again, to learn again with nature. But we, we have to start young. With risk-taking, for example, we have to start young because if we don't uh, teach children to take risks, and we don't teach them now, <laughs> uh, yeah. when they are teenagers and they are not listening adults anymore, how can it be for them? So indeed, I, I agree with you. The foundation has to be set when they are young, they are, when they are children. Uh, this is really important. And to, to do this, sorry, really my advice is to really find ways to integrate it to integrate nature connection to the daily life or to the daily school life of children. It's really yeah. important because I'm not sure that a children, a children who, who are lost in their screens, uh, in their video games, and I have nothing against video games, but I'm not sure that from their own willing, they will be uh, okay to go outdoors to just study a plant. I'm not sure. But if we start from where they are, and to start with their passions, that's the, the, the core of my pedagogy, actually, starting with the, the passion of, of people, the interest, yeah. then we can go out. So we start with the curriculum of the teachers, we start with the interest of the children, we start with, okay, what's in the life inside and how we can make it outside. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, for, I, I found that as I was learning to go into schools and do that, what you're just saying, when I tried to come from a bushcraft wilderness survival program, sometimes that works really well. And sometimes it's, it isn't quite a good match for children. So I found like using art, you know, we're going to go outside and gather materials to make something really beautiful, or, you know, we're going to go out and do something with food or like finding the right, the right, um, uh, how do you say it? like just the right uh, passion, what you said it right best, I think. You find what they're interested in, what they're excited in, and then, you know, again, just start the relationship and then go. And that really helped me a lot. And I know that one of the things that was interesting too is that when I when I work with teachers who, the teachers who are older, who who have been connected to nature, they really understand very why it's important and how to do it. And then sometimes there are younger teachers, teachers that they didn't grow up with a close relationship. So they're worried about nature and then they're worried, yeah. well, the kids won't like it. And I'm, I'm curious to think like how it would be to make a, like a, a, a program for teachers, new teachers in universities, you know, that if they're there for four years, that there's a, that there's an important element for their training so that they can learn to do this and then get, make it easier for that transition. That seems like it would be smart at some point. I, I, no, no, I totally agree, Ricardo, that I think that it, it uh, should below to the curriculum of, uh, of becoming a teacher. And uh, for now, I haven't found the, the, the right way to make it, but indeed it, it's a plan I have on my side too. I'm not from the Netherlands, so I don't really uh, know very well yet the system, but if you can do it, if you can integrate this part to the curriculum of the future teachers, for sure it will help. Yeah. Um, I wanted to provide you with an example of what I, I do so that it's clearer. Uh, for group seven, so group seven for us, it's the uh, there are children aged 10 to, to 11. 
uh, I knew that uh, the teachers were about starting a new unit based on uh, teaching trade and teaching scarcity. So I provide them with three kind of outdoor learning scenario. And we opted for uh, a game outdoors based on the Jumanji uh, movie. I'm sure you know it. Yeah, Jumanji, yeah. So the kids were lost uh, and, and they arrived in a white place. And in this white place, to be able to come back to the real world, they had to fill in a, a kind of a big bingo grid right. with mm -hmm. items to find to survive. So it was really about surviving items. And doing this, they were dis about discovering about nature. And then, as so they were into three teams. And in these three teams, they, it wasn't possible uh, for them to find the old grid because they had to barter. Right. So they started to barter, and uh, I, I, pl I played as an old merchant, also bringing some items for them to buy. So we spoke about this, with about buying, about trade, about prices, about value. And on the side, because I, I, I brought an, uh, lighters and I brought matches, they were able to just light the matches and things sure. like this. It was totally new for them. And even the teachers were a bit, um, <laughs> yeah. a, a bit uh, not worried, but like surprised, I would say. And But in the end, they were happy because they were able to, to use the matches and, and they learned about barter, they learned about price, nature and trade. So this is yeah. exa exactly what I do in general and what I propose and what yes. I propose to teach us. Yes, that's great. So it's like a it's like a game in nature that makes them observe and like a scavenger hunt a little bit. They have to find things and then but they're not concentrating on learning about nature. They're using nature as the yeah. as the the game the game board for your game. Exactly. And getting them comfortable because they're their desire to win the game or be with their friends in and win or be part of it is yeah exactly it's not like saying oh let's go and stand and look at this tree for an hour and you know or something that is exactly. much be very difficult for them to do so. in this in this case the the teacher was happy because she was able to okay check uh, one point to teach but also the kids that were very happy and to to do this and yeah, they were able to connect to nature and they were able also to, to see nature not only as a place where you do nature things, but also, also as a place where you can learn things. So, yes. Because nature is not only like you have uh, your indoor home and your indoor place where you can do everything you want. And then you have outdoor where you just can do outdoor stuff. No, you can really do your, your usual life outdoors. So it was uh, also a way to integrate outdoor learning as a, as a teaching um, context. Yeah, that's great. How did you figure that out? Was it just watching a movie and then kind of it jumped out at you? Or is that, that's just a really wonderful thing that you did. I, I mean, I've run a lot of like scavenger hunt type of experiences, but incorporating the Jumanji piece sounds like it would be very successful because so many children already know and they're excited about that, I guess. Yeah, so um, how did I come to that? Uh, so it's my usual way to, to proceed. I have set a pedagogy and it's a holistic one. So yeah. it starts with uh, all of this kind of interest. I, I, I call them uh, connection gateways. 
Yes, gateways, and yeah. It's really holistic. So when I have a topic, I try to take it by different views. So a topic or a concept to teach or um, um, a teaching goal. And I, I try to, yeah, to position it through these different kind of gateways. Mm -hmm. So, and I, indeed, I love stories. In one of my gateways is dream, dream works. It's a mm -hmm. way to say, okay, nature can also be an extraordinary world. It's not only the reality, but it's really good to foster imagination, to create uh, extraordinary stories, to play games, right. to play theater, to... And uh, I read a lot. I love books as well. So it gives me a lot of inspiration to transform this outdoor environment into something really incredible in our minds. Yes. So for, for this specific, um, this specific um, example, indeed, I, I based my, uh, my imagination about on Jumanji, but it can be on children's books. We can always start with a child yeah. book and to say, okay, how can I make it outdoors? Uh, how can right. I take it again? It speaks about a bird. Okay, can we try to find this bird for in real? And if not, why? Uh, what does it miss? Because it's not maybe the right climate. Okay, let's go out and just assess the temperature and assess the humidity to see if it's really not the right climate, for example. After it's a question of wondering, asking questions, uh, being curious, I would say, and fostering curiosity. Yeah, and that's something that's interesting because it's a rare quality in some ways. Sadly, uh, I remember a few years ago I was I was teaching an outdoor like a after school program in I was in fourteen schools and I went to each school eight times. And when I would go in, I would go in with activities. We would do the activity, and I was there for two hours every day, and the whole time, not a single child asked me a, a question that wasn't, you know, Mr. Sierra, can I have more sandpaper? Mr. Sierra, is this good? But they never said, oh, what did, what did you do yesterday? Or, um, hey, where did these beads come from? Or like they had no curiosity beyond whatever was given to them at the face value. And I kept thinking every day, I was like, yep, nobody asked me a question today. No, none of the children. And I was like, okay. And the next day, and, and at the end of the year, I was like, I think I went the whole year without being asked any, you know, imaginative, imaginative question or a history question, nothing. And I thought, huh, that's really interesting because, you know, I know, and I know it's hard to ask questions like that in, in school sometimes children don't want to say ask questions in front of their friends but uh it seems like that is a really key element is helping teachers become creative helping children you know asking those questions it's really a vital piece thank you so much for talking with us about all this stuff too uh how how can we how can we find out more about your work is there you have i know you have a website um you know, is there any way that we can contact you or maybe learn more about your your approaches? Yes. Your you, can, you can always contact me uh, via my web, website. You have a form or via LinkedIn as well. I am quite available on it. And uh, I have a link tree. I think the link is on LinkedIn uh, to 
toward okay. the TEDx, toward the podcast. I didn't uh, do a lot of podcasts, but anyway, there are a couple about how can we do it. And yes, watch my my TEDx as well. It's yeah. subtitled. Yeah. Well, I will I will have all the links for that in all of our show notes for this. So, uh, you know, if anybody's looking for that, and so, but this is this has been great. I really really appreciate your time and your. Uh, everything that you're doing, it's just been, it's phenomenal what you're doing. I, I don't, you know, I know that every day you just have to get up and do whatever you do, but, but uh, I, I just really want to recognize that, that these urban children and the teachers and the schools that are taking the leap to try this and begin to develop this, um, it's, I'm really, really, really grateful that you're doing that work because it's, it's really important. So Thank you, Ricardo. The reciprocity is true. Huh? Yeah. I, I really appreciate everything you do. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it's uh, it's really fun to be able to talk to people doing this because, you know, it's easy to just read an article or, you know, hear something and you think you understand. But talking with you, I really got a much better picture of like how things can work at an urban school, which is really exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for this. This has been really wonderful. Thank you so much, Ricardo. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.